Giorgio, <laughs> I mean, well, welcome to uh, Startup Mindsets. Thanks for being our, our first guest here and, uh, you know, kind of being part of our, our journey to build out the content for the book. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and uh, maybe for some of the people who may not know uh, who Jojo Flores exactly is, um, maybe Jojo, if you could uh, maybe speak on uh, your entrepreneurial journey from you know being from the Philippines and, uh, of course, the bottle, water bottle company that you just mentioned and uh, how Plug and Play came about and your investing experience and just a little bit about uh, yourself in that context. Yeah, uh, okay, so I'm, uh, I'm Filipino. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I graduate. I studied and graduated here in the Philippines at the University of the Philippines. And uh, actually, my first my first job was uh, not with uh, not with Wilkins. It was uh, it was with my professor back in the university who ran this uh, chain of uh, appliance stores and. Uh, the thing was, uh, when I graduated, I, you know, you, you get all of these offers from big uh, multinational companies. But uh, there was one particular experience that I uh, didn't like and uh, got a little bit scared. When I asked uh, this interviewer uh, at HR uh, what the management training program was, so she moved back. She got this... Uh, uh, big binder and showed me my life for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> so, which was kind of scary for me. And I asked her, uh, uh, you know, if there were any flexibilities, you know, just in case I didn't want to do this or, or that. She said, no, you have to go through this very stringent program. So, it was a little bit scary for me. And it was not just that one company, but uh, it, it was uh, it was with many of the multinational companies at that time. This was the late '80s. Okay, <clears throat> so I graduated '89 uh, from the university. So uh, I had this uh, professor in advertising in, in UP, and I I spoke with him and said, you know, it's a little, you know, all of this this career is kind of, you know, this uh, this work environment that was being showed to me was kind of scary. And so he said, why don't you just work for me first, you know? And, and uh, he was an entrepreneur and he, he had a chain of uh, appliance stores in the, in the country. And he said, uh, you train in the headquarters for two months. And then by that time, I would have uh, finished construction on my, uh, my newest branch, which was in Makati. And you can run that branch. So uh, I, was, I was more excited about that uh, that perspective, uh, and uh, uh, at a young, at the age, I was 21 years old, and uh, I got the chance to to be responsible uh, uh, with my own PNL and uh, running my own team. You know? So, uh, so I did that for about a year, and then I. I but the the, cha the the challenge that I had was uh, with this with this. Uh, uh, with the first company, uh, it was still being run very informally. You know? mm -hmm. So I said I needed more formal uh, training. Uh, and I came upon this, uh, <clears throat> this program that was with 
one of the big multinational companies here also, uh, which also run a management training program. But the interesting part was uh, when I investigated is that the management trainees would be reporting directly to the, to the country manager, to the CEO of the country, which was very interesting for me because you don't get a chance to uh, pick the mind and you know, uh, kind of shadow uh, a country manager. So I joined that company and in that company, uh, one of the, uh, during one of our powwow meetings, the CEO said, I, I want to put up a bottled water company and uh, who wants to do it? So I raised my hand and that's how I got involved first with Wilkins. No? So uh, Wilkins literally started with me uh, as, a, as a business plan. No? So uh, I wrote a business plan for it. I raised money for it within the group. I got $2 million and, you know. Wow. Uh, make a long story short in april of <laughs> to make april of 92 uh, we sold our first bottle okay, so i ran that company uh first on the sales and marketing side and then sure. eventually on the general manager uh as a general manager for three years and then uh, <clears throat> the company wanted to sell it so and the buyer was my uh, number one competitor, so I didn't want to work for my competitor. Uh -huh. So I left that company and uh, uh, joined my the group that I am uh, that I am uh, with now, which is uh, uh, my boss and my uh, my partner. His name Saeed Amidi, no? Right. He was actually my supplier when I was in in Wilkins. We became really good friends. And when I left uh, Wilkins, he came over to Manila and he said, you know, I want to build five gallon water companies in Europe. Uh -huh. And uh, he asked me to join his team. So that's when I moved to Europe. So I was in Europe for from 96. What, what, what uh, country in Europe? Uh, we started first in, in Spain. Uh -huh. And then uh, we, uh, oh, I'm sorry. We started first in Norway. Uh, that was our first uh, European project, and then Spain, Italy, France, Austria, Germany, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, and then we had some really nice exotic places, uh, which were the French islands. You know, in Guadeloupe, in New Caledonia. Oh, oh yeah, New Caledonia is not in Europe, right? It's no, it's not. It's a French. It's a that's French true. territory. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, did that for about uh, close to 10 years. And then uh, one of the board meetings that we had, I think it was in Barcelona or in Spain, Saeed came to me and he said, Jojo, you look bored. Why don't you come back to the U.S. and we'll start another business? So uh, in 2005, I went back to Silicon Valley. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I remember very distinctly driving along 101 there was not so much traffic. So I, I, I asked Saeed, you know, so what, what's happening? Why, why isn't there traffic in 101? And he said, you know, Jojo, you got to realize the, the, the bubble had just burst. You know, about 300,000 people lost their jobs in the valley. Okay, and there's about 10 million square feet of empty real estate. 
Wow. Now, now this piece of information is very interesting for me because we were the group was also in real estate. Uh-huh. And actually, that was the beginning of, uh, we didn't know at that time, but that was the beginning of plug and play. Uh, we had this little building right. along University Avenue. Uh, and in Palo Alto? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, in Palo Alto. And everybody called it the lucky building because <laughs> you know, Google started there, PayPal started there, Logitech started there, and a company called Danger started there. And uh, without us knowing, it gave us a really good insight and front row seat to startups. Right, right. And in fact, uh, we got so intrigued with, with that, that uh, we invested in some of these uh, startups that would be tenants in the building. Would, would some of those names be PayPal or Google or something Google, like that? Like, so PayPal, we, we, we invested in PayPal uh-huh. uh, early stage. Uh, Google, we invested in Google actually through Ron Conway's fund. Yeah, very famous angel guy. Yeah. Uh, and then a company called Danger, which was bought by Microsoft. Uh, the founder of that was Andy Rubin, who was the first CEO of Android. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Right. And so, uh, so all of these interesting stories, I, I remember... Uh, I was still in Europe, and every time I would come back to the U.S., you know, just to catch up with Saeed, uh, one of the stories I always say was um, he was very excited. One time he was very excited show, telling me that we invested in this startup company, and these guys, uh, what they did was they moved money from, from Palm Pilot to Palm Pilot. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> no and, smartphones uh, back then, really. <laughs> yeah, that mean there was no. This was probably late '90s, early 2000s. I, I think it was like '98 uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah. But I, I remember uh, this story because it eventually became. Uh, th- this was actually PayPal. Uh-huh. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. This company that they said that Said told me moved money from Palm Pilot to Palm Pilot. So, uh, so we did, you know, we did those uh, sort of investments actually more for fun, more than anything. Wow. Uh, and uh, so when I came back uh, in, in the U.S. in 2005, uh, uh, experiencing, you know, experiencing the no traffic in 101 uh, and uh, that piece of information that Saeed told me about, you know, 10 million square feet of empty buildings. I, 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 I told him, you know, we're in real estate. Why don't we buy one of these big buildings and then we chop it into smaller pieces and lease it, lease it out? You know? uh-huh. And uh, the positive thing about, you know, the, the, the bubble bursting and people losing 300,000 jobs. I mean, I mean. Uh, sure, uh, sure the loss of 300,000 jobs, was it created a lot of entrepreneurs. Wow, so very became, interesting. You know, so that became uh, my chosen niche for the market, right? You know, because I also studied the real estate market then. Uh-huh. And uh, if you were looking for space over 10,000 square feet, there's like 95% uh, Occupied, uh, vacancy. Occup- oh, vacancy. Oh, vacancy, okay. okay. Okay, less than 10,000 square feet, it was 95% occupancy. Mm. Uh, okay, so I said, you know, who would, 
I mean, the, the, so who would lease small spaces? So these are startups. Right. So uh, two people uh, teams, early, time, early companies. That's right. Yeah. So at that time, I remember, but by that time, we already had like 30 investments uh, in the portfolio. I mean, uh, again, in the family portfolio. No? And uh, I, I, uh, <clears throat> I remember talking with uh, many of them, about 20 of them, uh, asking them, you know, what their real estate experience was when they were starting. So uh, that information kind of gave me, you know, the idea and Saeed to, uh, to go ahead and buy a building and then uh, lease it to, uh, to startups, okay? Which is actually the, a, bigger, a bigger version of what we had in that Palo Alto University Avenue building. Mm, right. Okay, so that was really the start. And not, not many people know this, but uh, the first... The URL actually that I bought for plug and play was pluginplayrealestate.com. Did did you oh, come up? Was, wow! Yeah. Did, did you come up with the name plug and play? How did that work? Actually, no. Uh, it was Saeed's idea, and he said, "You know, <laughs> this plug and play things. You know, because it's a real it's a real estate term. You know, uh, a plug and play real estate. Uh, you know, space." Wow. Means that uh, means that you can you can uh, you can set up pretty quickly, you know. And uh, so I asked our lawyers, "Can you try to see if we can get this trademark?" And she was able to do it. Fortunately for us, we were surprised. You know, uh, it was kind of confusing also during the first year because uh, all of the real estate buildings that you'll see would say plug and play. Right. Right. Because oh, it's a term. That's right. That's right. So I would get a lot of uh, calls saying, "Oh, this is, is this yours? Is this yours? Is this yours?" And I'd say, "No, they're not mine." You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's how. Uh, that's how. Re really, how. Uh, how uh, plug and play started. It was. We didn't know it at that time, but uh, it was the first uh, uh, kind of model of for co-working. For sure. Would just yeah. follow, following up on that, um, I know that there's a lot of accelerators now. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you plan for that to become like sort of the have an accelerator or incubator model, or was it just you wanted it to be real estate and then it just happened like that? Well, it just happened like that. You know, uh, the thing is, uh, as I said, we the the first business model was it being a co-working space. So it was a, it was a real estate mm -hmm. uh, business for us, you know. But at the same time, uh, because of this, the, the experience that we had in the Lucky Building, we also told ourselves that uh, this could be, uh, that we could scale now uh, the investment activities that we had. You know? mm -hmm. So it gave us a chance to, it gave us a chance to, uh, to uh, to see other opportunities out there in the market, and uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, when I one of the marketing activities that I did during the early days of plug and play to promote the space uh, was uh, was uh, through our VC friends, you know, because even with their small building, and by the way, one of the businesses that we had was also in uh, rugs. So this is uh, uh, handmade decorative rugs, also along oh, the okay. 
Okay, and through that rug store, we actually became. It's the one on Palo Alto with, University Avenue. That's still there. Yeah, Medallion Rug. Oh damn! <laughs> yes, yeah, so that, that's ours. So uh, through Medallion Rug, we became friends with a lot of the VCs. You know, because you know a lot of the VCs when you know uh, when they buy new homes or they redecorate their homes. Uh, fun fact: ten percent of uh, interior uh, design. Expenses go to go to rugs. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. So uh, not many. Again, just a fun fact. But uh, that's how <laughs> you do. Who would know? Wow. Yeah, that's how we met Ron Conway. That's how we met the Sequoia guys. That's how wow. we met. Uh, uh, was it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, D uh, F G. Uh, Draper, Tim, Draper, Tim Draper, uh, you know, all of these guys, right? Even Dado. That's yeah. how we met Dado. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, by the time that we had plug and play, we had a network of, you know, just close friends uh, in the VC community. And so I said, you know, again, to, to market plug and play as a space, I would talk to all of the VCs and tell them, you know, if you have any startups, that uh, would want new office space, please come to us. No? And by the way, I have some startups in the building. Do you want to see them? You know, so that was, a, that, was the early, those, that, that was the early version of what we have now as deal flows when we would bridge uh, startups with, uh, with a VC community. For, for so, sure. Uh, so we did. I did those uh, marketing events over at Plug and Play, and everybody enjoyed it. You know, the VCs enjoyed it, and especially the startups enjoyed it. So <clears throat> we made it. We turned it into a into a program, and uh, uh, I hired a team to do to be on the venture side, and uh, their job was to promote. Uh, our startups inside the building to the VC community. And uh, we got us, you know, we kind of went overboard even and got <laughs> to a point where we had like 700 VCs in our network. Uh -huh. And these and these 700 VCs would, uh, our arrangement with them is they tell us what they want and then we would curate startups for them. Interesting. <laughs> and then uh, they would come to plug and play at least once a year to to look at the curated startups that we have for them, you know, that, that we come up for them. So uh, so eventually <clears throat> that was, I guess, version two of what you would call an accelerator. Okay. Uh, and I said um, I, I would... I would uh, the message that we would we would have in the community was if if you're looking for funding, plug and play is an is an accelerator for that because of the seven hundred because of the seven hundred uh, uh, VCs that we had in the network and we were doing at least one deal flow session a day. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Uh, plug and play by that time. No? Uh, so we became like a go to place you know or accelerator if you want to call it that uh yeah or for funding no and then uh, so well, those quick, the quick question right there um did you guys raise a fund or no, no. So how did you fund the startups through the partnerships deals 
Uh, we we funded our startups through our own cash flow from the other businesses that we have. You know, so, uh, so cool. Plug, plug and Play is under the Amidi group of companies. No? So it's a private family. Yep. And uh, the family is involved in real estate. The family is involved in uh, uh, trading, specifically uh, plastic resin mm -hmm. for, for, uh, for packaging. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, also bottled water. Oh, okay. Uh, the one that I put up for the right, company. Right. So yeah. we would generate... We would generate cash to the other businesses, and it's the it's that cash uh, that uh, we would use for our uh, operations investment investments as well. Yeah, yeah. So mm. on the operation side, it's the lease from yeah. the building. Yeah. Okay. You know, gotcha. That that kind of run uh, the the plug and play in terms of salaries. You know, all of those other uh, overhead operating expenses. So, yeah. So so, so Giorgio, um you know, the, the topic really here is also kind of startup mindsets. And through your story, it seems that you yourself has that mindset. And at the same time, you know, you've seen a lot of people, you know, again, these iconic Silicon Valley founders that you've met personally have these mindsets. Like, what, what, is, that, what is that mindset is needed for, for someone, you know, or for you in, specifically? Yeah. to start a company or a business and you you basically because that's not a normal reaction where you said i'm scared to literally give a company my life for five years in a book that's this thick and actually i want to do something more startup or entrepreneurial that is that is strange thinking but then how, how, what what is that what came into your mind during the time and why yeah. are you built that way yeah uh I, I'm, there, there's many, there's, there's many I can really think of, you know, but, you know, I, uh, I, I'd like to answer it this way. Uh, I, for me personally, what was really uh, very important and, and which I see in many, uh, which I see lacking in, in many startups is, uh, is that sales mindset, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think if you don't have that in your DNA, I think you should find someone to join your team that will really be focused on that aspect of the business, you know. And I, I, I think related to this, I would also recommend to constantly ask yourself, you know, how you can generate revenue and cash internally. You know, have that clear path uh, to getting, to getting uh, cash flow positive and be profitable as soon as possible. That clear crystal clear sight you know toward towards that you know uh, and uh i would do that through by paying a, a majority of my time with with uh, with paying customers and spend time with paying customers trying to build business models that really sustain and uh, and scale the business of course you I mean there are many books and many speakers will say you know you know, grit, this and that, you know, there's, there's a lot of qualities, but I, I think me personally, and I think what's really good for the startup is, you know, uh, you know not, again, you know, it's being cash oriented, being sales oriented, I think right from the beginning is, is very important, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, your first job as an entrepreneur is to get yourself is to get yourself afloat, you know? 
uh, and uh, it's so much easier to to experiment, you know. And you'll be doing a lot of those things as an entrepreneur uh, because you won't have the answers right from the start, right? So you'll do a lot of experimentation. So, but in order for you to to do that, you have to have cash, you know, at the back of your pocket. Make sure. Mm-hmm. That you can sustain yourself, and also what's important that you know that cash, uh, that money, that that the, the the that revenue that you're generating, is also uh, obviously will go to salaries. You yeah, know? and that is very important that you pay the right amount, and then on time <laughs> to the right people. You know, because again, at the end of the day. You're not going to be doing it alone. You'll need a really good team, and you have to pay for that team. You know? So mm-hmm. uh, make sure that you have you have uh, you 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 have uh, money to pay the right amount and pay it on time. You know, so I think it's very important. You know, uh, uh-huh. I remember in many, in many, if not all of the businesses that I started. You know, it was really and that was the you know. Uh, when I started plug and pay, for example, I had four people, you know, in sales, okay, and one person uh, in the operations. I knew how much that would cost that cost me, and so I was really focused on generating revenue first to make sure that I can pay those salaries. That was more important. The second thing was the mortgage, you know, that I had to pay for for plug and play, and that was the second step. You know? uh, but Again, you know, just to answer your your question earlier, uh, I think that's the, it's that it's that uh, is that uh, sales. Uh, yeah, I like that sales mindset. Uh, so, you know, uh-huh. th- that's really great points there. Definitely, uh, that sales mindset. Yeah, it's so important. Um, what I kind of wanted to jump into next was uh, you mentioned how you met Saeed kind of threw a little bit of chance and working at the water bottle company. Um, what tips would you have for find the right co-founder um, and uh, kind of balancing that team chemistry and uh, having a mindset towards chemistry in the team? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a really good question. You know, uh, I think first and foremost, as a, as an entrepreneur, uh, you have to, to uh, be honest with yourself and know what your strengths and your weaknesses are, you know? And of course, you need to build on your strength and use that for, for the benefit of the company. But on the weakness side, uh, I, I, I really, I, I always suggest to, to uh, in, in building a strong DNA in your company, uh, find people around you, whether you're part, whether they're partners or or founders, uh, that will cover for for your weak for your weaknesses. No, so right. in the case of in the case of Saeed, Saeed is a really people person. He's a really great salesperson, yeah. but he'll admit to everybody that he's really bad in organizational skills. You know, and processes and operations. You no, know? so 
and he said, Jojo, you're good in that, so why don't you take care of the back and I'll make sure the front end is okay. Which was, you know, I mean, and that's why I always kind of tease him, you know, with plug and play. He got to do all of the fun stuff, you know, uh, <laughs> facing the corporations, facing the customers, facing the startups. And uh, I was making sure that the lights are open and the water's, the water's running, you know. So, <laughs> um, so uh, but, that, but that's really how it works. I mean, in, in your team, you, you identify someone who's strong in one area and you let that person take care of that part of that business. I mean, when Launch Garage here in the Philippines, uh, look, you know, I graduated from business school. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a technical person. But Jay, and, and you know this early, and Jay yeah, Fajardo, who's my partner here, I mean, he, I've known him, first, I've known him since we were in grade school in La Salle. You know, so uh, I, trust, I trust him uh, very much. But more, more important than that, I also trust in his uh, technical skills. skills no? I mean, I, I always tell people he's the geek part of, of Launch Garage. You know? So <laughs> uh, that's the thing. You have to find you know, people that complement you, complement you with, especially with, with your weaknesses. You know? so, um, but it, it really starts with you know, really doing a good, honest, self-assessment of what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, so Georgia, it seems that there's a nature and nurture here of, I guess, a startup founder, right? Like one thing that we're trying to uncover is, is there something from your childhood or from your experiences before, let's say, that first kind of aha moment after university that kind of led you to to have that, I guess, sales mindset or that self-awareness to understand where you have strengths and weaknesses, I mean, is there something that you had experienced even before or, or that happened through time, right? Because that's something we're trying to uncover is, is that something that's just a natural thing to you or you just happened, you know, as you kind of grew, uh, you know, in your childhood and through business? Well, uh, I guess it will come back to, uh, to your early days. I mean, my father... Uh, really taught me the value of responsibility and hard work. Uh, I mean, these values I, I still carry until this day, you know. Uh, when I started Wilkins in the Philippines, for three straight years, I would be in the office at 7 a.m. at the latest and leave at, the, and leave at 10 p.m. at the earliest, Monday through Saturday. And uh, I remember I'd spend the office hours in the field, you know, either selling myself, or, or, or delivering water or whatever, and then come back to the office and do all of my office office work, you know, reports and stuff. Uh, I never felt that uh, I was entitled, you know, and uh, and uh, always and accepted that many people around me were more intelligent and talented. So uh, mm-hmm. I really just needed to work. I needed to work harder, you know. So. Uh, but uh, you know, technically, uh, to be to be uh, honest, I mean, I still work for a company. You know, I mean, I don't know if I can be 
really considered as a real entrepreneur because my entire career, my entire my entire working career, I was never really alone. You know, uh, I just treated all of my new projects that came my way as startups and myself as the entrepreneur and the leader. You know? yeah. uh, early on, after graduating from UP, I had a chance to, as I said, you know, join large MNCs, but I, my heart was not in it. You know? So, uh, and I, I told you the story er, uh, uh, earlier, you know? Yeah. Uh, Great. No, that's good. Um, quick, quick follow-up on that, Jojo. Um, it seems like, you know, you did a lot of trial and error and remained humble, of course. And I think in, maybe now in, in the world that we live in, there's a lot of uh, sort of a, uh, what's that word? Instant gratification and sort of like the mindsets and culture has changed. Um, going into that, uh, uh, how did you kind of just have that discipline just going into things and actually what I want better question for me to ask would be how, how did you deal with failures and maybe not seeing progress when you wanted to see progress and what kind of mindset informed uh, you to stay in the course? Um, I would say really just uh, courage and survival instincts. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I like that survival. Survival is is the way. That's right. Yeah, it, it it. I think it's the biggest. It's the strongest motivator of all. You know, uh, that you really just needed to succeed. I, I remember one of the before I actually moved to before we I moved to Europe. Uh, my first, uh, the first country that I had to start was Sri Lanka. This was in 1996, in January of 96. Mm -hmm. And if you look at history books, it was also the start of the revolution, you know, when the Tamil Tigers attacked Colombo yeah. Yeah. and, uh, you know, bombed several buildings and stuff. No? I was in the middle of starting a company. You know? So I get a call from Saeed saying, Jojo, you go to the, to the U.S. Embassy and you tell them that you work for a U.S. company and get the hell out of there. And uh, I remember I told, I was telling myself, but this is my first project with the company, you know. I cannot leave with my tail, you know, tail in between my legs. I said, Saeed, no, I, I'm staying, you know. Uh, I already have, I already uh, hired my startup team and I cannot just leave them here. So we, we we, I stayed and uh, we, uh, we started the company, you know, in the middle of the, in the middle of the war. But really, I mean, that it's, uh, and you just got to do it. And it's, uh, it's survival instincts, you know, being a true entrepreneur, I think, means that, you know, you also have to be a little bit hard headed, <laughs> not being able, you know, not being able to, to, to take no for, for answer and uh, believing in yourself, obviously, I mean, Though, though one should, of course, you have to embrace failure. And yes, we failed in several locations already. And, but in our gut, it feels really bad, you know. And uh, I don't want to repeat that feeling again, no. I mean, I've cried in front of Saeed, you know, when I, when I would fail in, in certain projects. It's, it's, I really take it personally, you know. And, but, but as long as you're happy with what you're doing still, 
as long as you keep learning from what you're doing, as long as you're enjoying the people that you're working with, you know, uh, and as long as, you know, you haven't given up on that deeper purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. You know, I just keep doing it, you know, and again, well, maybe I'm hard-headed, but, uh, you know, uh, it still makes me happy. Uh, I, I will, I will keep doing it. No. Uh, one other thing, and maybe this is not very common with many people from other parts of the world, but you know, but I'm also very, I'm deeply religious. You know, so I truly believe that having that strong faith will keep you strong and smart, especially during those uh, trying times. That, that that was such a great answer. Um... Yeah, I think uh, a lot of, you know, I'm from Silicon Valley, right? And Or I'm from San Francisco, rather. And you just see all the highlights and you hear that this company raised $10 million and, you know, having done venture capital, you, you just, you you kind of walk into crowded rounds and you think that everything was easy. But the the uh, the reason they need they need to raise the money is they have challenges that they need to solve. And just going back into that, um, yeah, I think, I loved how you said, uh, be honest with yourself and embrace the failures and things, things are going to work out. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, you know I mean? Hopefully. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, as I said, we've, we've had some failures, uh, and, but you know, uh, the, the, the thing is, you know, and I think you have that also is one of your questions. Uh, I saw, uh, you know, there, there. Uh, the, I, I think failure is is mainly because of two things. You know, first is uh, you really have a bad or a wrong product or a wrong uh, uh, business plan or marketing plan or a wrong you know business model or wrong people you know, or wrong people uh, that you hired, you know, so these, so it, it can be process oriented, you know, but uh, other thing is that uh, you would fail because, uh, because uh, you did not execute well, you know, mm -hmm. but, so you got to distinguish one, you got to distinguish, I think, one uh, uh, from the other, you no? Know? so, uh, and, you know, people would say, oh, I'll, you know, because it's wrong and, you know, but I've seen it many times, you know, that uh, people or startups, <clears throat> they will pivot because they think it's wrong process on the process side, but really it's, uh, it's just bad execution. No? So, uh, so you just got to distinguish one from the other. No? So. Uh, sometimes you already uh, you're doing the right thing, but you're just not doing it well, you know. So it, it's it, that is uh -huh. that's what you need to that's what you need to address. Yeah, that that's a great point. Um, what I wanted to move on to next, perhaps, was uh, uh, let's see um, how 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 is the startup uh, ecosystem in the Philippines or how. 
And and I wanted to ask you this since I read uh, in a newspaper article that you had said uh, you felt like it was a little bit of a slap to your face when you you know saw that none of the founders you were that were in plug and play or in your um, sort of face were non non Filipino. I just wanted to get your take on. <laughs> just wanted to get your take on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Startups well, I, over there, uh, innovation over there in the east southeast yeah. Asia region. So first. Uh, you know, uh, so I started Plug and Play in 2006, and I would say probably since, uh, and I left 2015, mm -hmm. I think. Um, yeah, somewhere around that, 2015, 2016. So, uh, so I was there for about uh, almost 10 years, and uh, we during that, during that period, we, we, we would help maybe 500 to 1,000 startups in one way or another. No? Either we give them funding or we give them mentorship or we give them, uh, you know, uh, introductions with corporations, et cetera, et cetera. So, but we would help maybe 500 to 1,000 startups per year. And uh, not many of them are Filipinos. And so that was, you know, I took that a little bit personally. I'm taking that personally and told myself, you know, for the next 10 years, uh, what I would do is try to help uh, closer to home. So that's why it was also one of the reasons why I came back uh, to Asia to oversee this part of our operations so that I could help more uh, Filipinos and other Asian uh, startups you know, uh, get into this whole innovation story. Uh, now, uh, having said that, I, I've been trying, I, I've been trying to help uh, the Philippine startup ecosystem for about 10 years now. So the first ever pitching competition, Silicon Valley style, was, was organized by, by me uh, in the Philippines. So um, but it was really fun, you know. I only had about a month to organize it, and I was organizing it from the U.S. Yeah, wow. I was organizing it from the U.S. I didn't have any arms and legs here in the Philippines, you know. But you know, this pitching competition that we that we had, and it was uh, uh, it was in January of 2010. Okay during the one of the SITEM events uh, with, uh, hosted by DPI, I had, I received about, and I was pleasantly surprised, I received maybe about 40, 50 uh, uh, applications, okay, doing it remotely, huh? And finally, we, I chose 20 to do the pitching. Okay. Oh, okay. And, you know, after that, you know, uh, and it, it just caught on. And uh, the, by that time, I, uh, uh, I formally joined uh, Stack Silicon Valley, you know, with, with Christina, Denny, Jopin, you know, and uh, uh, through, through the help of the, of, of, uh, Consul General Painor during that time, DFA, he helped us uh, 
with the OST and DTI to put up the the you know the uh, the formal relationship between stack and the government and mm -hmm. that means. and our first projects were to to institutionalize these uh, pitching competitions that we ran for three more years no? uh, we've come a long way since then you know uh, maybe you know uh, I think there's more startups being being created on a yearly basis uh, and we probably have at least 500 startups now here in the country uh, that are that are active at any given time. <clears throat> okay, uh, the government is doing uh, are now you know they're doing a lot of uh, uh, engagement events activities that uh, that help this to uh, to continuously build the startup ecosystem. So, and then the corporations are getting involved. There's more funding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so. Uh, scale of one to ten. If I were to use ten years ago as the base and use that as one, we're probably around, uh, you know, five or six. No? There's still a lot of things to be done, especially on the funding side for early stage, for early stage startups. You know, I think what we're also missing uh, after ten years is. Uh, uh, compared to our Asian neighbors, we still don't have very successful stories to share. No, sure. Um, like compared to Indonesia, for example, that already has four unicorns, you know, or uh, Singapore, obviously. Uh, and I, I even feel that Vietnam is uh, starting to have better, <clears throat> better startups than us. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's actually more money in in that ecosystem also being invested in early stage startups uh, as well as the corporate uh, corporate uh, engagements no? uh, yeah it, it, there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of uh, uh, work to be done for us, yeah for to, to grow the, the ecosystem further yeah, well, I mean, um, I know we, we're kind of running out of time here, Jojo. So mm -hmm. um, any, I mean, now it's kind of a, a testy time. Um, any advice now to, um, I guess, to founders and even people who are kind of applying these startup mindsets in their own, even inside of a company? Any thoughts now, at least parting advice to them before we close yeah. this, uh, this, you know, this recording? Uh... Yeah, I, I like looking always at the positive things. So, uh, as I said, for example, I mentioned earlier that uh, you know uh, during the when the bubble burst, it created a lot of jobless people, but it created also a lot of entrepreneurs. So mm -hmm. always there's a lot of a lot of good things that can come out of of you want to call it crisis, no? Uh, in this current COVID-19 situation, I think uh, what's important now is more than ever uh, is that startups need to articulate how they can really sustain themselves. No, uh, wow, yeah. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with plug and play, for example. Fortunately, we're not. At, you know, I think I can even for the next 12 months. You know. Uh, uh, I, I can I can sustain not 
generating new revenue, mm -hmm. you know, and still be able to pay salaries of people uh, in in uh, globally. You know? So uh, it's because again, you know, right from the beginning, as I said, you know, I was sales being sales oriented and knowing that you can sustain yourself and de depend only on your own cash flow for your own business. So I think that's very important. Startups really need to articulate today how they can sustain themselves. And that is very important for them to be able to, to, sh to convince uh, VCs and investors to invest in them. Of course, it would be great uh, if they can address, uh, you know, uh, certain pain points that are that we're feeling right now, you know, either in health, logistics, uh, distance ed tech, and and what and and uh, and uh, what have you, you know. So, uh, but I, again, you know, if you remember, Earl, when the bubble burst in the in before the bubble burst in Silicon Valley. Uh, people, you know, startups were getting investments based on PowerPoints. And yeah. I remember, and I remember very <laughs> clearly, you know, uh, because we we did a plastics version of, you know, e, we, we did a startup called ePlastics, e-plastics tra e, uh, trading platform. Uh, and uh, I, I asked Said, so how much do, how much are we going to value this? Oh, we have 10 employees, so the, the company is worth $10 million. I said, what? <laughs> you, know, you know, I said, it's true, Jojo, you know, uh, uh, the, the valuations of the companies are based on the number of employees. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, but once the bubble burst, then suddenly people, you know, investors would take more, would, would, would be more conscious about, you know, uh, uh, how do you make money? You know, who's your customer? All of those, all of those basic things, you know, in running businesses. So I think uh, uh, with with the current crisis, you know, uh, uh, even that will be much more refined now. You know? uh, and uh, uh, right for me, I, I you know, I, today I, I'm not. We're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. We're going to be more cautious. But we're not going to be stopping investing. You know? uh, but I'm going to be looking at startups with clear path to, to profitability, to cash profitability, and profitability. Perfect. Well, Jojo, um, I know we're kind of top of the hour here, but uh, thank you so much for thank your you wisdom. Uh, I think there's a lot that we've learned here, and uh, you know more to come. Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Jojo. Okay. Yeah, I loved uh, having Thanks, you. Thanks, uh, looking forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll get Filipino food um, in SF or Daily sure. City better like that. <laughs> all right. All right. And uh, I'll see you again tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow uh, with your sold okay. out talk. Thank you.